Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bad Bleeps of the Bible. Before we hop into today's bleep, there are two ways that this episode could have gone. First, um, archaeologically, and why? This is because we're talking about a real dude who actually existed in history. Um, it could also have gone a second way, which is the more fun and fantastical, a la the Bible way, where we take this historical dude and put him in the context of the Biblia and that story. Your boy is not an archaeologist, nor is he a theologian. We have made this very, very clear. So what we're going to do is kind of blend the two of them. We're going to have the most fun with the story to what I believe, very biasly believe, are the more fun parts of said story, and then attempt to tell said story with historical context in mind. Okay? Okay. Today's bleep is an individual of the ancient world, known as perhaps the greatest biblical villain only next to Ahab and Jezebel, and he's a potential werewolf of the Old Testament. Say hello to King Nebuchadnezzar. What's undisputable is that our dude Nebuchadnezzar is that he was a great and powerful king. So much so that throughout so many of the sources I found and was reading as I researched this actually really heavily researched um, bleep this week, uh, he was referenced as the greatest and most powerful of the ancient Babylonian kings repeatedly. Quick aside here, if you don't know what the Babylonian Empire is, um, it can also be known as the Chaldean Empire, and it's huge. It existed beginning in 625 BC and was located in ancient Mesopotamia, which that glorious area of land was also known as the Fertile Crescent, and it's near the Tigris and Euphrates River near and around Iraq. Oh my goodness, maybe I am a historian and scholar. <laughs> anyway, Nebuchadnezzar inherited this incredibly powerful kingdom from his dad, who, upon baby Nebuchadnezzar's birth, gave him the moniker Nebuchadnezzar, his name, which translate to Nabu, watch over my heir. Nabu was a Babylonian god, not our sky daddy of the Old Testament. So this is a whole different people. So back to full-grown Nebuchadnezzar. What made him so great, but also let's look at what made him so infamous and villainous. We're going to start with the greats of Nebuchadnezzar. First, again, this is all fact. First, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Ever heard of them? Wonder of the ancient world? Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar, our dude Nebuchadnezzar, built them. He also built some of the more well-known and incredible architecture of the time. He designed, he commissioned, and he built them. So he was first an incredible construction king, but not only that, he was also an incredible military leader. And his military campaigns and historic reign lasted for over 43 years, the longest of any of the kings at this time. And what's really cool about Nebuchadnezzar is that we can see him throughout history in tablets and writings and bricks with his literal name, Nebuchadnezzar II. So that's the great of this dude. Historical figure, 
created some of the most well-known and recognizable architecture of this time. And he was a great military leader expanding the kingdom, yada, yada, yada. What's not great are those military campaigns that I mentioned. Both the Bible and history record his military exploits in Egypt, Syria, and in Phoenicia. Oh, hey, our girl Jezebel. And both his routing and or subjugation of the nations that he conquered. What's also recorded is the first attack of Judah, a la Israel, where our future bleep, because we're definitely doing this dude, Daniel of Daniel in the Lion's Den, and many other Israelites were captured and taken away captive. So that's kind of the first mark against Nebuchadnezzar is his capture of Judah and the capture of people. Then further, three years after his initial attack on Israel, Nebuchadnezzar sends more troops to this time conquer Israel fully, which they do quite easily um, in 598 BC, allowing the king of Israel at this time, his name was Jehoiakim, to just, you know, pay tribute to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, and your Gucci. So again, first recorded attack, he took Daniel and some people, but he left Israel alone. Second attack, he must have seen that it was a pretty easy nation to conquer, and he conquers it. And is just like, you know what? Send me some goods, send me some money, and we're good to go. But then, in a literal Uno reversal, Nebuchadnezzar sends his troop to depose of Jehoiakim, carry him and the royal family off to Babylon, and also carry out a huge population of the city and its sacred objects. And he places a puppet king, Zedekiah, onto the throne in Israel. Zedekiah, a little bit later, says, I know. I don't want to be paying tribute to you. I know you put me here, but you know what? I don't like it. And he joined forces with Egypt to rebel against the tyranny of Nebuchadnezzar. And he was promptly defeated by Nebuchadnezzar. And it truly doesn't end well for our dude Zedekiah, since it's recorded that his eyes were put out and he remained a captive for the rest of his life. Not great for this guy. But... This final rebellion was also the final straw in the Nebuchadnezzar is the worst villain in ancient Israel's history fact, in that after Zedekiah's rebellion, Nebuchadnezzar brought about the final siege of Jerusalem. And this one was a big one. The text tells us that during this time, Nebuchadnezzar first removed all the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and took away all of the gold articles that Solomon kind of Solomon had made from the temple of the Lord. He also carried into exile all Jerusalem, all the population, all the officers and fighting men, and all of the craftsmen and artisans, a total of 10,000 of those latter folks. And only the poorest of the people of the land were left. So he utterly sacked Jerusalem took all of its goods, and took all of its really artisans, craftsmen, military leaders, all of the important people who create the culture of Jerusalem. Further, this campaign, which probably ended around the summer of 586 BC, resulted in the plunder and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, putting a permanent end to Israel at that time and leading to the Babylonian captivity as all of the Jews were captured and deported into Babylon. In fact, 
you can see this. Uh, archaeological excavations confirm that Jerusalem and all that surrounding area was destroyed and depopulated. So all of the population was removed. And it's possible that the intensity of this destruction carried out by Nebuchadnezzar at Jerusalem and elsewhere was due to the implementation of a scorched earth policy, meaning everything is destroyed in Israel. And this specifically is why Nebuchadnezzar is known as the greatest villain of ancient Israel. Not only did he capture and enslave the people, he also decided to destroy the most important city and their entire history in the process. Whew. Okay, I feel like we haven't had a wind-up to the actual story like this in a, I don't think in any of our Bleeps episodes so far, so we're going to move away from the history and now get to the mystery. <laughs> I mentioned that Nebuchadnezzar could perhaps also be defined as an Old Testament werewolf. And if you, like my pastor dad, when I decided to moniker our dude Nebi as such a werewolf, are incredulous, let's tell his story. We're in Daniel 4 of the Old Testament. Remember Daniel? We talked about him in our little brief history lesson like two seconds ago. Yeeted away from Israel, all of him and his friends. Well, Daniel is there in Babylon with King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's really good at interpreting dreams. And here's why. We open our story with Nebuchadnezzar having conquered Israel, but also completely unable to sleep because of a horrendous dream that he had. In this dream, he saw a, a giant statue made up of various metals. So the head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and its arms and its belly and its thighs were made of bronze. So we have, again, head was gold. I'm sorry, chest and arms of silver and its belly and thigh of bronze. Don't at me. Then in this dream, along comes a giant rock smashing the statue and its metal to pieces. Clearly, this was a disturbing dream to our dude Nebuchadnezzar, so he calls on Daniel to interpret it. Daniel lets Nebuchadnezzar know that in very simple terms, his kingdom is great, but it won't be the last, and it will not last. In fact, there's a kingdom that will destroy everything, and that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and that that kingdom, in fact, is the reason for this dream— because this is the God of Israel warning Nebuchadnezzar that he needs to recognize not the false gods of Babylon, but the true God of Israel, and that this God should be respected and recognized. And at first, in a surprising turn of events, because this must have been one scary dream, Nebuchadnezzar agreed with Daniel and tells Daniel that, listen, Daniel, I am 100% with you. The God of your people is the one true God. And he promptly promotes our dude Daniel to a position within his court. Amazing. This dude who just sacked Israel, who took all their things, maybe is having some guilt complex, I don't know, and pretends to recognize, the not pretends. At this moment, he recognizes the God of Israel. Great. Cool. Fast forward a bit further. And we find Nebuchadnezzar, maybe a few years later, prancing around high on his little tower in the royal palace of Babylon, 
admiring his stunning hanging gardens that he just had recently constructed, his incredible gate that I don't remember the name of that I just saw a picture of that's really popular and reconstructed in Iraq at the time, and really giving himself a pat on the back. Here the Bible writes that the king spoke to himself, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my might and power, and for the honor of my majesty. And in the next instant, a powerful voice, the text tells us, states, and fell from heaven, saying, Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven, seven, years shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives to whomever he chooses. And then, and then, only a short time later, the words from heaven are fulfilled, and Nebuchadnezzar begins to change. He begins to morph into something other than the king. I'm going to go with werewolf. You can choose whatever you like because I'm literally quoting from the text here. So don't at me and be like, Scott, what's your evidence that he's a werewolf and all that? Here is what the text says. It says that the very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar, he was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So what would you, dear listener, make of that? Would you say that his body had morphed into something not human? His hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails were like claws. And he was eating grass in the field. It's only a short hop, skip, and a jump to werewolf land. And we are firmly there. So I'm going to go with werewolf. Anyway, this affliction lasted seven years for our powerful Babylonian king. Seven. Seven years he wandered the hills of Babylon eating grass, all because of his hubris and his non-recognition of the God of Israel. We aren't given any info of Nebuchadnezzar's actions during this time. We don't know where he lived. Uh, Was this a full-time affliction or maybe it just happened on the full moon? How did the empire function in his absence? Nothing-ish. Catch the conclusion of this. The only thing we know in true Bible fashion is that at the end of this time, Nebuchadnezzar, speaking in first person, states... And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. He drolls on and on about the greatness of God, and then ends with, At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me, and I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added back to me. And just for good measure, at the end of his praise and worship oration about God, he praises and extols and honors the king of heaven. As you read this, it really does seem a little 
too propaganda-esque and a little sus. But here's the facts we are given in the Bible. First, Nebuchadnezzar, greatest king of Babylonian empire, who spawned one of the greatest wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, had a bad dream, and because of that dream, had a change of heart, strays a bit and becomes prideful, is cursed by the God of Israel to be a beast for seven years, seven, again, reappearing always, and then comes back again to be like, yay, God. I don't know. This story really is more favorable of the two mentions of Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament, and we're going to get to the maybe less favorable description when we discuss Daniel. But after this, by what is described by the Greek historians as lycanthropy, a la werewolves dad, mm-hmm, Ahab, not Ahab, Nebuchadnezzar lives a lovely and long life dying at the ripe old age of either 83 or 84 in 561 BC. And you know I love ending on some fun facts. So first, the reason Israel was supposedly allowed to be captured and destroyed? Well, you know, it was punishment by God for not worshiping him and fulfilling his covenant. Always familiar that poor Israel is being captured and punished by their God. Second, because Nebuchadnezzar is such a historical figure that we can see archaeological evidence for throughout history, is there evidence of his madness? And the answer is maybe. And it's a questionable maybe, because in one source called the International Journal of Pastors and in an article titled New Light on Nebuchadnezzar's Madness, a recently published cuneiform inscription in pieces, we don't have the full thing, reads as thus, and it's going to sound a little disjointed. Nebuchadnezzar considered his life appeared of no value to him. Rather, the Babylonian speaks bad counsel to Merodach, but Merodach does not heed the word from the lips of his courtiers, nor does Nebuchadnezzar show love to son or daughter. His family and clan do not exist. His attention was not directed toward promoting the welfare of Babylon, but he prays to the Lord of Lords. He raised his hand in supplication. He weeps bitterly to Marduk, the great God, and his prayers go forth. So, taking that kind of disjointed thing that I just read, while we have little to zero evidence that Nebuchadnezzar went mad, we do know that something happened to him to cause him to cry out to his own god, Marduk, Marduk, Marmaduke, <laughs> in supplication and in healing, and he was apparently healed of something. I'm truly just going to leave that there and also maybe say that the Old Testament authors may have yet again, taken a historical fact and twisted it around to fit their own Christian narrative. And this is really where we have to decipher between history and literature. And we're going to leave Nebuchadnezzar's story open for now. And we're going to revisit him when we discuss our dude Daniel sometime in November. Without doubt, though, history and the Bible both point to the powerful, the infamous, the most hated enemy of Israel at this time, and the very real potential werewolf, sorry, I'm not going to let that go, bad bleep Nebuchadnezzar. 
I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Yes, I know it was a little more archaeological, but I still hope you enjoyed it. Please feel free to get in touch with me and share your thoughts and your church stories. Send in those stories at badbleepsofthebible at gmail.com. And please find us on Instagram and TikTok at badbleepsofthebible. Sources for today's story can be found in our show notes. And please rate, review, and subscribe. Catch you next time and watch out for werewolves, not letting it go. Amen and bye-bye. Thank you.